The electric chair. Run, rabbit, run. everyone welcome to the electric chair my name is midnight cory it's great that you're listening i sincerely appreciate it um the electric chair this show is of course on stitcher stitcher.com great place to find a lot of other podcasts and actually it's really cool devour the podcast just uh, got onto stitcher and speaking of devour the podcast you can listen to me be their very first guest ever for their 25th episode, and uh, we review a couple great movies and just have a really great time. But it's a long show, as you know, you should come to expect from me, because <laughs> you know, I just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. But I had a great time with Jamie and David, so uh, yeah, devour the podcast. You, you ought to be listening to that anyhow. But uh, yeah, a lot of great things going on. I'm also uh, part of the Horror Podcasting Alliance at horrorpodcastingalliance.blogspot.com. Be sure to check out everybody else that's uh, hanging out over there. It's very cool. And the Electric Chair 2D is uh, also part of spookshow.tv and another great place to find a lot of other great horror things. Um, yeah, speaking of the video show, the 2D show, I will have a show out very soon. Um, and it's, it's pretty much done. I just have to put all the finishing touches on it. So I still have some work, uh, to put into it. So it will be coming out here very soon. Um, and, uh, it is going to feature, uh, one of my guests tonight, but I'll tell you who they are in a little bit here. First off, I want to, uh, get into some feedback here. Um, of course my voicemail line is 206-337-5096. Um, you can also uh, send me MP3s through the website contact page at uh, electrochairshow.com. And, um, yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of great things you can do. But uh, got uh, actually a couple emails, uh, you know, and uh, a voicemail. So uh, let's just go. The first one is from my man, Johnny T. Hey, Midnight Corey. It's Johnny T here from the UK. Uh, just been away for a couple of weeks on a holiday, or as you in the States call it, a vacation. Um, come back to find three new Corey shows to listen to, as well as your new show on YouTube, um, The Electric Chair 2D. Fantastic stuff set. I've watched a couple of them, and uh, to my surprise, on one of them, the uh, where you pull the name out of a magic hat for the Troll Hunter Blu-ray or DVD release, I won. Fantastic. Many, many thanks to you and Flopo, uh, and I shall let you know when I got that through the post. Um, I've sent you a message on Facebook for my address and everything and that, but um, yeah, I'd like to thank you guys again. Brilliant, that. Like I said to you on Twitter, um, I saw it ages ago, and I've been meaning to pick it up for ages, because I do actually love it. I don't know what your thoughts on it, if you've seen it or not. Um, but as regards watching stuff, I've not really seen a lot. I've seen Wreck 3, um, which is good. I mean, I love the first two Wreck films, but I didn't think it was as good as it could have been. I probably hyped it up too much in my own mind. I know um, I was speaking to Misfit Boy the other day on Facebook, and he's seen it. And I think he'll be sharing his thoughts with you soon on it, so that'll be uh, something to listen to. And another one that uh, is coming out in the UK, I'm not sure if it's coming out in the States as yet, is uh, an Asian zombie film called Z108. Um, I did a preview for it on my blog a while back uh, with the video off uh, YouTube and stuff, but if you can't find it on my blog, uh, just go on YouTube and type in Z108. looks quite good and it's got decentish reviews. Um, apparently they're dealing with the zombie apocalypse as well as serial killers, so another little interesting twist to that but um, as soon as I've seen it I will uh, drop you a line and let you know what it's like and stuff and I'll, I'll stick it up on my blog and everything but man you keep, keep uh, 
up keeping up the good work and everything like that and stuff and hopefully we should get together soon and have a chat on skype and stuff and maybe get something together so there you go so once again many many thanks to you and flopo and all the listeners of the show and um, i shall speak to you soon so take care bye yeah congratulations again johnny t for winning the troll hunter blu-ray um yeah awesome movie um actually i reviewed it here several episodes ago with uh jay of the dead and jamie and man <laughs> it was an epic epic review of course of course it was but uh a great great movie i think my favorite found footage film ever uh, quite possibly um and uh yeah yep wreck three of course you know i really enjoyed wreck three for what it was um but i think it's a great transition into wreck four because, you know, Wreck 4 is not going to be any found footage whatsoever. Actually, I just found out about that here a few days ago. Um, so this is a great transition, I, I think, from the completely found footage uh, style to now they're going completely cinematic. And they've proven themselves with Wreck 3 that they can do the, the traditional cinematic style and very well. So I, I'm interested to see Wreck 4. Um, Never heard of Z108, uh, although, you know, I do, uh, for the most part, like like Asian zombie films. So, uh, yeah, I'll be interested in hearing about that and, and uh, hopefully seeing it here soon. And, dude, we got to get together and, and review a movie or just talk or wh- whatever. Uh, you know, we got to get on Skype. So let's set something up. But, uh, Johnny T, thank you. Thank you for sending the feedback, my friend. Next off, we hear from Xander Kane. Hello, Midnight Corey. Xander Kane here, just calling to give you a little feedback on the catching up on all the shows. I think I'm only one show behind now. Yay. Um, but I'm going to give you a quick little rundown of uh, my thoughts on the last few shows, so forgive it if it runs a little long. I'll try to be quick. Uh, first things first, uh, I want to talk about The Bleeding House. Uh, man, I really love this movie. Uh, it was one of my picks for one of the best films of the year when it came out in uh, 2011, I believe it was the year. Um, but man, it, uh, it really just kind of floored me. It was kind of one of those movies that just hit the perfect mood at the perfect time. Um, I had to make an unexpected trip up to West Virginia so I uh, to see my family. So I hopped on iTunes and see what horror movies had come out and that literally came out that day. I downloaded it and as I was driving through the mountains and it was kind of dreary and rainy and I was just kind of glued to the whole glued to the whole movie uh, you know when you have your earphones in and you're watching it on that little screen you really focus and you really hear everything and one of the things I thought was great was the sound mixing was fantastic on that movie because on the little things like you you guys said that the soundtrack is subtle but you know you still hear it, it still sounds great but also all the other little noises in the background like when they were outside you could still hear the little crickets and everything and nothing was ever there was never one sound overpowering another it just kept the atmosphere and the mood really great on the movie and super uh, glad that Dave mentioned the scene in the attic with the mother because that whole dialogue and everything right there is just, I mean, it, it was, it's just hypnotizing to watch um, the character Nick, you know, just talk about all that to the mother, just showing his charm and everything. I mean, just completely well done and great. I mean, I just, I can't say enough about that movie. and super stoked that you guys uh, talked about it. And uh, when you talk to the director and I found out it was his first movie, uh, pretty much just kind of blew my mind. That's not, that, that, that stuff doesn't happen very often. I mean, uh, that was kudos to him. And I, you know, can't wait to see what else he does. So uh, that was super cool. And um, <clears throat> the uh, Day of the Dead episode with uh, Maven Jamie and uh, Jay of the Dead, that was also a great episode, man. It was really, 
really, really cool to hear you guys talk about in depth of all that. You know, you, you catch uh, certain things on your own. I mean, I've seen it a bunch of times, but it's always cool to hear somebody else's perspective on, on those things. And I think that this is a movie that even if people aren't interested in zombie movies and think they're just for blood, guts, and gore, you know, when people hear something like this about it and kind of get more in depth with uh you know what's the kind of the real meaning behind it, and how you can. It's much more relatable than you actually think it is. It's not this blasphemy, you know, scenario that is impossible, but it kind of just shares um, a scenario of any apocalyptic thing that might happen, and how you would sympathize with certain people, and you would have to do things you wouldn't want to do. But I mean, it's definitely a great, uh, great movie. Glad you guys talked about it. Um, and last but not least, I believe you were talking to Lindsay Hollister, I believe, about some uh, Stephen King movies and all that, and I've been an avid King reader and um, uh, movie watcher for a long time. It's probably one of my, it's probably my favorite overall uh, adaptation, and I know it does kind of fall apart toward the end, um, and it has a few faults here and there, but I think it does a great job of delivering what King um, intended for the characters as far as uh, getting you invested in them, and just the character development is great in the, in the movie version of that, so I was really pleased with that a lot and I've read a lot of his newer books Under the Dome a lot of people didn't like I thought Under the Dome was fantastic and uh, Four Dark uh, was it Four Dark Tales which is another little novella collection that he has I thought that I thought that was good too I don't think he's lost a step like a lot of people seem to think that his writing's going downhill but I still think he's solid uh, but anyways I'll let you get man uh, keep up the good work and uh, go Steelers I'm ready for football season later Alexander Kane, you are a man of fine, fine tastes, my friend. I mean, not only do you love the Steelers, as we heard in your your uh, the end of your remarks there, but uh, you also really enjoyed the Bleeding House, which is cool. And thank you for bringing up the the sound mixing because we you know we touched on that a little bit talking about the music, but uh, great atmosphere is achieved through all the subtle things that they have going on with the sound and, and you're exactly right um it's it's very understated but it's very full there's a lot going on there so good call on that um and yeah day of the dead i just you know man i could sit i, I could just keep going about that i could do like a day of the dead podcast every week <laughs> but uh yeah there there's so much more to it than the blood and guts and the zombies and gore and whatever um and i'm glad that we could have a great time talking about that and um, yeah, Stephen King, uh, I'm a big fan myself, even though I prefer his older stuff to his newer stuff. Um, man, just a great, great writer. And he's the reason I got into a lot of the horror that I did. And um, what made me, uh, you know, partially what made me into a horror fan when I was uh, younger. So uh, yeah, so dude, thank you, Xander Kane, for, uh, for leaving that message. And finally, uh, our last bit of e- or, uh, feedback this week is very late breaking actually as i am recording and editing the show for release tomorrow um i got a uh, voicemail from my friend alan what's up Corey? this is alan uh been digging the show man thought I'd, when you and brian were talking about american psycho it made me want to go back and check it out again i haven't seen it since i saw it in theaters and it's been 12 years ago, I remember digging it then, I don't know why I didn't buy it, or rent it, but uh, went looking for it today, and uh, I know Brian said the Blu-ray wasn't as good as the DVD, but I found it at Target for five bucks, I know I I live in Alabama, but I figured Targets are Targets, so your listeners might be interested in that, have a good one man, bye. 
Oh, Alan, thank you. I'm going to check out Target for that. Uh, five bucks for a Blu-ray of American Psycho is... Uh, it blows my mind because it's such a fantastic movie. So thank you. Thank you for alerting us to that. And uh, I'm glad to hear that uh, you, you enjoy the movie as well. I had a great time talking about it with Brian. So, Alan, always great to hear from you, man. If uh, you'd like to leave a voicemail, of course, 206-337-5096 or, um, again, through the contact page. So... Um, there we go. The guests this week. Well, it's really exciting. I've talked with my first guest before on another podcast, and he was a wonderful, wonderful guy, full of knowledge, full of talent. He's an actor and a writer. Of course, I'm talking about Bradford Tatum, the author of The Monster's Muse. Uh, Monster's Muse is a great book. Uh, you really, really need to read it, uh, especially if you're real into universal horror and the golden age of horror. Uh, just, man, a blast reading that book. So, Bradford comes on the show and we talk about Lon Chaney. Yes, yes, the man of a thousand faces. So, uh, also, you know, the band Die, Monster, Die. They're in the middle of this really intense um, Kickstarter campaign to fund their new album. It's like they're almost there. They just need your support so bad. But I get to talk with the guitarist, Shadow Windhawk who um, is really, really hardworking, doing a lot of stuff for the band, a lot of stuff for Kickstarter. And, uh, man, he's, uh, he's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, we get together and we talk about, uh, of course, the band and uh, a couple Rob Zombie films. So that's a lot of fun. And uh, all that and the usual craziness. So uh, let's get on with the show. They're so slow. We could just walk right past them. We wouldn't even have to run. We could just walk right past them. We have the guns. If we're careful, we can get away. You told me to fight. Well, I'm fighting. I'm not panicking. This place is not safe, not upstairs or down. We should leave before it's too late. Well, I welcome to the show right now an actor, an award-winning writer, and one of the most interesting people that I've ever talked to about film. And I welcome right now Mr. Bradford Tatum. Bradford, <laughs> thank you for joining me tonight. You're very welcome. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Oh, absolutely. Well, we were talking before the show here, and I said, man, I'm just going to give you more and more praise for The Monster's Muse, because that was absolutely just some great writing and a really, really fun read. Um, and uh, I think everybody should read it. So uh, how, how's the response been to that? It's good. It's good. You know, um, it's a very limited thing being one guy in a sea of published writers um but it's out on a site called goodreads mm -hmm. which is kind of like facebook for people that are reading obsessed and um it's gotten quite a few ads so i mean meaning people are adding it to their reading cues so it's been good in that respect and it's going the query route with agents and you know awesome awesome i think I was just, uh, the last time we talked, I was only a little bit of the way through it, and now uh, I finished the book, and it's uh, it's definitely a, a great read. I, it Actually, it got me interested. I'm like, I got to go back and watch some of these. You know, I, it got me real interested, especially Phantom. I went back and watched the Phantom of the Opera again, which mm. I haven't seen for years and years, and I forgot how much I loved that movie. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great. And, you know, I'd met my wife on that soundstage yeah. when she was doing Sequest, and so I just, the whole universal thing i just have a very strong affinity for because it's basically my backyard and you know so i just I'm, started to do the research and yeah i just kind of love that era and 
Wow. I'm, I'm so jealous of, of your location and that uh, you're, you're right there kind of in the middle of it all. I mean, is it how yeah. is it like living right in the middle of, of history? I mean, that's the golden age right there. I, I know you take a lot of advantage of that, you know, just by you, you visiting sets and the, the different places you've worked and things. But uh, yeah. how is it living there? Hollywood kills its young. It doesn't really, um, <laughs> it doesn't really honor that um, element. Um, most of these things were designed to only last, you know, a few days of shooting or a few weeks of shooting, depending on what the the, the schedule was. Um, that Phantom stage is an exception. For some reason, that has not been torn down. Hmm. But pretty much everything else has. I mean, there's little pieces of um, the European village, I think, still at Universal. But uh, by and large, everybody goes on location now. Wow. So, wow. It, I mean, you can kind of find it, you know, but it's tucked away or it's overgrown or you just, you know, it's here. And but you'll get a book of old Hollywood and um, you'll go down Hollywood Boulevard or Sunset Boulevard and it, you just won't. It's just completely different. It's it's really, really, really changed. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's that's amazing. It it seems to me then that Hollywood is so much more about the here and now and yeah. what's the biggest thing going on now, which doesn't surprise. I guess I'm not surprised. Uh, yeah, that it's that way. Um, it's the same for me when I visit the Monroeville Mall uh, in Pittsburgh. Nowadays, you would think that there would be some sort of something there having to do with Dawn of the Dead, because that's that's historic. <laughs> you know, that that's a big deal. But literally, the place has gotten a complete makeover. But you know, nobody talks about it. It's just about, you know, sprucing up the mall and making it, you know, yeah. making it kind of what it is now and kind of forgetting yeah. the past, which is sad. Um, yeah. And uh, I wish, like, if I were to go to, to Hollywood, that's what I'd be going there to see. You know, I wouldn't want to go, you know, see, uh, you know, whatever's out now, you know, the, the big, anything about the big blockbusters coming out now. I'd want to go and see some history, you know. I'd want to... Yeah. Man, go see you know the Phantom set, and I'd want to go see. Man, you know, is there anything else out here that that uh, I've been watching since I was a little kid, and is just going to speak to me? And it just, uh, like you said, that's a shame. It's not not really being on. No, it's it's really not preserved. There there is a mall like at at Hollywood and Vine, huge huge mega mall, and they designed it so that the outside of the mall looks like the sets for uh, Intolerance, which was the big. Hmm. Huge, huge, huge silent film, and so they're the great big Babylonian elephants and the great big That's Assyrian cool. wall, yeah. and it's I think it's actually done to scale. It's like forty feet high, and so oh, wow. you know there's that element, but it's you know kind of touristy and weird. And, yeah, you know, and Grauman's is there, and you know the Roosevelt Hotel is there, and you know but the Coconut Grove isn't there, and the El Morocco's not there, and Chasen's isn't there, and the Brown Derby's not there, and you know. Yeah, yeah, that's a shame. So, but that's Hollywood. I mean, that's like I said, Hollywood. I'm not surprised, but what can yeah. you do? So it's great yeah. that there are people like you out there that still really appreciate it. And, yeah. um, man, you know, just like I said, when we first talked, dude, I could have talked with you the whole night just about <laughs> how much you know about film. Now you've written, of course, the monster's muse, which was a great study. I mean, it really told a lot about how much you know about film, how much you appreciate film history and uh, just how much there is to dig into there. Um, have you been uh, thinking about other writing maybe in that vein, other things having to do with uh, film history or anything like that? Because I would love, man, I would, I would totally read like a whole encyclopedia that you would write, which I'm sure you could do easily. 
just about <laughs> classic horror, just about universal horror, kind of kind of like that. Have you considered something like that? Um, I think about it all the time. I mean, yeah. it, it is it is kind of a, uh, but I, I I put so much of it into the muse, you know, so much mm. of so True. much of it is there. And again, I wanted to really kind of create the untold yeah. element, the whole the whole the whole part of the movie that that movie industry that we didn't see. Right. And then, you know, to me, the real tragedy of the book is that, you know, she, this creature just kind of outlives her usefulness in that industry because the, all that changes and she's no longer useful, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why it ends where it ends, you know, and ending with, you know, Vampira and, and, and when your life's work becomes a joke, when it becomes a parody, I, you know, it's time to kind of leave the building, you know, yeah. and that's kind of the through line. Right. You know, that's the kind of the tragedy of it. So, um, I don't know. I'll, I'll go to Monster Palooza, or my wife might do an appearance at Comic Con or something, and so I might go, and um, you'll see the odd little obsessed people that just, you know, they they did an auction a few years ago, and I have the catalog of it. Uh, Kenny Strick Fadden sold all of his old arc lights and scissor arcs wow. and all the things that he used in the original. Frankenstein, yeah, you know all of this crazy, crazy stuff that all had to be done practically, which you'd probably CGI today. But in those days, yeah. you really had to. But you know, um, I, I guess it was really it would really be someone like Gene Wilder or Mel Brooks. I mean, they have a very similar love for that era and those films, and you see it in Young Frankenstein because that's yeah. kind of an amalgam of you know all three Karloff versions, mm. mostly Son of Frankenstein, and um, yeah. you know. I, I, this just it's just warm. I just love it. It's just a warm feeling when I think about that era. And yeah. you know, yeah, I know exactly. And like I said, that's that's why it was so cool, especially reading Muse. You know, I wanted to go back and uh, I watched uh, Frankenstein again, and I can remember the scenes. The first time I saw Frankenstein when I was a little kid, and the scenes that just just really got to me. You know, like the normal brain and the abnormal brain, and breaking it open on the floor. And, um, and then of course the, you know, the scene that freaks everybody out towards the end, whenever he kills the girl, um, I mean, just things like that. But, but going back, I think I've been so swept up in, uh, modern horror and, and a lot of, uh, I don't know the, the cheap, I don't want to call them cheap because they're not always, but more of the cheap thrill kind of thing. You know, we don't get the atmosphere and the slow burn a lot that we did back then and really the charm and atmosphere. And mm-hmm. it's so worth going back and watching these movies mm-hmm. and uh, just really mm-hmm. appreciating them uh, for what they are. Even the ones that I haven't seen. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of universal horror films out there that I'm interested again in, in uh, mm-hmm. seeing now mm-hmm. that uh, have just kind of slipped through the cracks. And uh, Yeah. I mean, if, if you just spent time looking at some of the more obscure German expressionist pieces, mm-hmm. the Carl Dreyer, like Carl Dreyer's Vampire with a Y is really oh yeah right up you know and then he went on into Joan of Arc which is incredible mm-hmm. but his vampire is just beautiful um Val Luton didn't yeah. direct produced I mean there's a whole slew of really moody beautiful things that he did um body snatchers you know the, mm. the I think it was kind of the follow-up piece to Frankenstein Karloff did. Yeah. Based on, you know, those guys that used to dig up graves and sell them to the medical <laughs> establishment in the 
Victorian age. I mean, there's just just all kinds of beautiful. Ones. A, a movie that I saw recently that I really enjoyed was that new Hammer Horror, Woman in Black. I don't know if you oh, saw that. Oh yes, I did. Yes, but I did. You enjoyed that. I, was, I really enjoyed it. I thought it really had the mood. I think it owed a lot to um, kind of the Japanese horror. There was a lot of those kind of quick cuts. You know what mm, I mean? Like, yeah. But I thought they did a really, really beautiful job with the with the mood of that film and all that kind of Victorian, that sense of impending dread. Um, and I hadn't seen something like that, you know, in English in a long time. So I, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it as well. It was uh, everything I think I expected out of a modern Hammer film. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it did a lot of things right. What's interesting, have you ever seen uh, the 1989 uh, BBC uh, make of Woman in Black? No. Yeah, it's actually really oh. great. You should uh, try and check it out. It's kind of kind of an obscure kind of thing to find. But uh, a friend of mine turned me on to that whenever uh, the the new one came out. He's like, "There's this obscure cut of it. It was a made-for-TV movie that the BBC did, and mm -hmm. uh, it's actually really, really great. I think you'd like that too." Yeah, because it was written as a play as well. They right. did it as a play in London and the West End, and then they did it on Broadway, I think. And so it's had a few few lives. Yeah. Yeah. So are there any other uh, horror out there that you've seen in the theaters or maybe just recently that you've been impressed with? Do you watch a do you watch a lot of new stuff? I uh, I don't. I don't. Um, I, I, again, I, I, I like the, the kind of the mood pieces. I like that sense of of kind of impending dread. And, and it does. It's very difficult to sell that to a young producer. Yeah, you know, you yeah. know, when I go into pitch meetings or whatever, and you're making references past Gremlins, you're kind of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, you know. yeah. So. Well, somebody who I think is doing it right, uh, making movies out there right now, and he's young, uh, very talented. I think is Ty West. Now, of course, uh, he did House of the Devil here a few years ago, and he just did The Innkeepers, oh. um, which oh. is uh, all about mood. It's all about atmosphere. And, uh, yeah, especially house of the devil. It's an homage to, to eighties horror, just how it starts out really slow. It's building character, building story, and, mm -hmm. uh, really just goes kind of crazy at the end. And, mm -hmm. uh, the innkeepers, a, a lot of the same thing. So yeah, check out some Ty West. Ty West. Great. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, I think definitely, definitely one of those ones to watch. But, uh, now we talked about Lon Chaney a little bit mm -hmm. earlier and, uh, you suggested uh, a movie to talk about tonight that I had never heard of before, mm -hmm. and uh, it's actually a remake. Now, before I get into the, the specifics here, remakes are uh, really have a bad rap nowadays, to say the least. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's because there are just so many bad remakes out there right now. And so people apply those to remakes in general. And a right. lot of people, especially younger horror movie viewers... Uh, see remakes as a new thing because there's so many of them out right now. But we go back to the 20s and 30s that, like we are tonight, and remakes aren't a new thing. They, they've been happening ever since <laughs> commercial film has right. begun. Um, so uh, you chose for us a Lon Chaney film, actually the final Lon Chaney film, and his first and only talkie. Right. So uh, you chose, what did you choose for us tonight? And is there a specific reason that uh, you wanted to talk about this one? 
Uh, I chose the Unholy Three. I chose the the 1930 talking version. Uh, not not the original Silent 1925 was directed by Todd Browning, but this this one was directed by Jack Conway. Um, in my mind, it's not so much a remake because it's almost the same cast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of the talking version, and since the gag in the film, Professor Echo, is a ventriloquist, and it's about his voice. The um, the conceit of it being being silent, doing a ventriloquist act and it's silent. You don't really get the skill. You don't you don't really get <laughs> what he can do. And um, not only was Lon Chaney a fantastic physical actor, he's also an excellent vocal actor. And uh, a lot of people in Hollywood knew that, but very few of the audience knew that because they never heard him speak. And so. Um, it was just a real treat, I think, to see him, to hear him, you know, and, and to hear him do all the voices, the old woman and, and the parrot. And, oh, yeah. You know, I just, I just, you know, got such a kick out of it. And the fact that it's the film that was his last and, you know, he was literally going to roll right into Dracula after this wrapped and mm. done. Yeah, yeah. That's a shame. And a lot of people out there are going to be like, we're on a horror show. Why are we talking about this kind of crime drama thriller kind of thing on a horror show? And my answer to that, and and you may have more to expand on, I don't know. But my answer to that would be Lon Chaney changed horror. I mean, that's undoubtedly a fact. Um, He was the man of a thousand faces, but also the man of a thousand voices. Mm -hmm. And this is the only time in history that an audience gets to appreciate that, like you said. Um, and, uh, you know, just with, with Phantom, like we're talking about Hunchback, just so many movies, he just changed horror. He changed, uh, makeup and effects and, uh, really he's a historic figure and, uh, to talk about his final film and his only, uh, spoken film, his only, uh, you know, non-silent film, uh, I, I think is definitely worth doing on any show, especially this one, because he was horror for a long time and uh, was so uh, just uh, uh, a landmark actor and uh, so, so much more, so much more. I mean, he, he just changed the face of horror. So that's, uh, am I on target with that at all? No, I, 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 I definitely think you are, are, are on target, um, but it's how, it's how you define it. Uh, the mm-hmm. idea of supernatural horror, which is um, kind of the basic formula nowadays, there's always yeah. some supernatural element, um, was not very common in, in Cheney's day. In fact, Todd Browning hated that idea. He hated the idea of the supernatural. He always thought the real horror in the world, the real criminal, the real kind of scary element in the world was the criminal element, the flim-flam element, the the... You know the shucksters, the uh, scam artists, right? And um, you know his association with 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 Cheney. It's it's over. You know the armless, you know knife thrower or the clown or you know all, all the roles that he played. You know the, the legless guy in the penalty. All the roles that he played. Um, that supernatural element. That was considered hokey in hmm. those days, and so the idea of Dracula was a huge departure for Browning. It wasn't something, in fact, you know, in, in, in the Muse, I talk about, you know, 
in my mind, probably Browning's original concept for it was guys pretending to be vampires, which is what London After Midnight was. Yeah. You know, that's a lost film, and that's a Browning film. Um, it's a guy pretending to be a vampire. Because it would be very, very difficult to sell to a, a Depression-era audience, I guess. Mm. Uh, the idea of the supernatural it seemed like, you know, kid-time stories. And, yeah. And, the, and, there was, and, and that element really didn't exist. So The Unholy Three, I guess, in, in its day, there wasn't really horror, but there was thriller. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, there was, you know, Frankenstein or what have you, but that, that, had, that had just come out. But the idea of the thriller, you know, the, the, the dark element, which uh, if you extend that to you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Friday the 13th or, you know, Halloween. I mean, they're basically, you know, pathologically criminal mentalities haunting mm. a film. And that's very much in keeping with something like The Unholy Three. Granted, it's a much tamer version, but these are guys that have kind of an interesting pathology that's manifested in, you know, their ability to imitate people and different types of people and you know commit crimes right right so well, that, hey, there is there is kind of a connection there you know and it's that, interesting to see that lineage that's a great point because i think this concept again was horrific to people seeing this movie at this point in time um yeah. because uh, this amount of deception and this kind of criminal intent by these right. these uh, circus, they were working in a circus sideshow kind of right. uh, atmosphere. Um, right. And basically what happens is we got uh, three sideshow workers. Uh, Lon Chaney, of course, plays Professor Echo, who is a ventriloquist, and that's his act. And then uh, we have uh, um, Earls, Harry Earls, oh. uh, <laughs> playing the part of Tweedledee, mm -hmm. who is uh, he, he's a little person, very hot-headed, <laughs> very full of spite. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he, he plays, uh, of course, both this, uh, this, uh, midget kind of character in the sideshow. And then during the criminal activity, he kind of puts on the persona of a baby, because which is a baby, a really, really convincing baby though, right? Yeah. Crazy convincing. Yeah. And then he's got that unbelievably thick German accent. So he's, it, to me, I don't know if he's a little bit deaf. He was, he's very difficult to understand. Yes. Um, and I, mean, I understood him a little bit more in Freaks, because he's also yeah. placed the mission in Freaks. Right, right. Um, but in this, when he would lapse into the baby thing, especially when he would, like, do a line with his cigar, and then he'd do the little thing where he'd be rolling <laughs> with joy. It's just, it's just, it's virtuosic. It's just such fantastic acting. It's really worth seeing. It's really worth seeing, because... Absolutely. Other than uh, someone like Deep Roy, you know, who does, you know, works with, you know, um, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or whatever. Um, there, there's really no little person who's of that caliber of, of talent. I mean, I mean, there, there are, there are, of course, of course yeah. there are. But um, he's just so unique and he's just so unusual. And his, his <laughs> baby is so believable. It's yeah. frighteningly believable. Um and, and I think the idea of having this kindly old woman that's really a guy and really a criminal, you know, who steals jewelry by taking its baby into people's homes and the baby. I mean, it's just it's just really a great, great concept. And, and it sounds really stupid, but the way it's so masterfully done, it it's is. so believably done. 
It you know? is. And uh, Lon Chaney, to see Lon Chaney after doing Phantom, after doing Hunchback, mm-hmm. into this little old lady role. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. It's so strange, but he does it perfectly in, yeah. in both films. You know, and again, I've watched both just to kind of, you know, be able to get a frame of reference and compare the two and whatever. And there, there's very little difference uh, between mm-hmm. the two other than the sound. Um, but uh, Lon Chaney can do the old woman uh, just really, really well. And uh, he goes back and forth very quickly between the two in the film um, and uh, really sells it. So, again, he's just a master of of what he did. Um, And uh, so, yeah, basically what happens, we start off there in the sideshow. And, uh, of course, hot-headed Tweedledee. Man, somebody makes a comment. And uh, I forget exactly what it is, but he ends up punching a what is he, he like kicks a baby or something like like he does something <laughs> crazy. And so, of course, he gets booted out of the out of the circus right. and um, the strong man. Um, and I don't remember uh, what his it, it was played by two different actors in uh, both versions. Um, yeah. But uh, the strong man and Professor Echo kind of follow him out uh, of the sideshow. They kind of leave right alongside of him. But of course, Echo is pulling some sort of little scam on the side with Rosie, where yeah. she's kind of the pickpocket working for him. And so we get that whole element going on, which is cool. And uh, Rosie plays a big part uh, in, in this film. But it's kind of funny that Tweedledee is kind of the one that kicks this whole thing off. Yeah. And it's just because of his little outburst there and his tendencies. Yeah, that uh, he gets booted out and they decide, hey, we're going to take this on the road. We're going to pull some really big really big heist here. And of course they go after Jules, uh, Lon Chaney, professor echo, uh, plays Mrs. O'Grady, the kindly Uh little old lady who, who runs (laughs) a bird shop, which is actually probably the most interesting bird shop I've ever seen in my life because Uh it has a lot of birds and And a girl. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And a guy in a grape in an ape suit. Yeah. It's, it's pretty out there. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And uh, just, the, again, the differences between the two films in the original, they used a real uh, it was a chimp, actually, mm-hmm. that they they made look big based on camera angles and the way they shot it and the way mm-hmm. they positioned actors and, and whatever. But in this film, yeah, you're right. There's it was a guy in a chimp suit. It, mm-hmm. They did a pretty good job uh, with that for that, for, you know, 1930, you know, mm-hmm. looked look pretty good. Um, and so this is what we see. There's drama, of course, you know, between Rosie and Professor Echo, Rosie and Hector, who is one of the workers at the bird shop. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole thing plays out from there. We see internal turmoil going on between or among these three. Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, how Rosie figures into that and Hector, of course. And uh, so I, I don't know that I want to spoil this and, and tell kind of what happens at the end. Although this uh, the 1930 version comes to a much more um, satisfying and I think uh, um, much more sensible ending mm-hmm. than the 1925 version does, because it, it just works out, I think, better in my right. mind. Yeah. But uh, a great story all around and a fun ride. Yeah, and it was hard to get for a long time. For a long, I, yeah. You could get it for a long time. You'd have to catch it on Turner or whatever, but it's recently been re-released on DVD, so you can get it. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I, love, I, just, I also love the dynamic of the balance of power between mm. the three, how that, that ape really has no other function other than to keep the strong man in line because he's so terrified of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and... and, and you know, the thing with the elephant, with the baby playing with the elephant, <laughs> hiding 
it just it's just these wonderful bits just really 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 great vintage you know wonderful wonderful bits yeah yeah absolutely and this version compared to the 25 version i i loved in the in the remake in the newer version um the way they played with shadows on the wall you know we got a little bit of of more expressionistic kind of filmmaking here because a lot of scenes you started off with these three shadows on the wall as they were kind of conspiring about what they were going to do next and then the camera kind of pulled back to show the actual actors um so i really really appreciated that um and you talked about the elephant scene and to be honest i think i appreciated that elephant scene more in the silent version than i did in this one because it seemed like the silent version they had to do more visually to hold suspense. And so I think they drew it out a lot longer and mm-hmm. uh, you knew what was in that elephant and they just played it and played it and played it. I think they quickened it up just a little bit for the 1930 version. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'm like, Oh, that I didn't get quite the suspense effect mm-hmm. that I did in that one, but it's still a great scene. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. But, um, there wasn't much more. I mean, you, you, you've obviously seen the, the 25 version. Uh-huh. Um, what, uh, what is your take as far as, uh, you know, differences or superiority? I, I definitely think I, I like the 1930 version better. Um, mm-hmm. but what do you think? I, again, so much of, of the conceit is that they do voices that, 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 that Cheney does these characters and granted he's a great, he's a great physical actor. Um, but just, the treat of getting to hear him speak, mm-hmm. you know, um, that both, both versions exist and you can go back and forth or what have you. Um, but I, I think I prefer the talking version. I, I, I guess because it's the only time you get to hear him speak and, you know, if you have a warm place in your heart for Lon Chaney, who's to me like one of the original method actors, yeah. you know, just way before Strasburg. I mean, he was doing just incredible, you know, real things um i just i think it's just a real gem and and again not very well known yeah yeah i again never heard of it which i feel ashamed because i should because it's kind of an important film uh for cheney and for uh for this point in time but i hadn't so yeah thank you again for uh for bringing this up it was uh absolutely Absolutely. ah, just a lot of fun so yeah we definitely recommend this and um as far as hearing Cheney speak, um, now I assume you'd seen a lot of his classic stuff before this, um, and this maybe you saw a little bit later on. Um, what did you think of his voice, the tone of his voice? Were you surprised, I guess, by the tone of his voice, by what he sounded like? Had you imagined it some other way in your head the whole time no. along? I, I think it was one of the few times when it was exactly what I thought it should sound like. You know, I, I, I knew he was a heavy smoker, so I knew he'd have very strong resonance. Um, I, I, yeah, no, I was, I was very, I was very pleased. You know, I, I, I don't think people would be disappointed hearing him speak. In fact, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely is. So, well, man, thank you again for bringing this up. Uh, this is great. You're just, uh, it seems like every time I talk to you, you just have another movie for me. That's awesome <laughs> that I've never heard of before. And that, uh, you know, it's just great. So I, I always really enjoy talking with you, man. Um, cool. so, uh, what else you got going on? Of course, there's, uh, there's the monsters muse at, uh, I think it's what the monsters muse.com. 
Mm -hmm. uh, where people can uh, find out more about you and the book. And mm -hmm. uh, of course, it's on Kindle right now and it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But uh, is there anywhere else I should uh, mention where people can find out about you and what you're doing and what's going on with uh, your creative endeavors? I'm always working on something, but yeah. uh, it's, it's all in kind of the beginning stages. Um, but the book is also out on iTunes, and you can also get it on uh, Nook if people have a Nook. Cool. Um, cool. So kind of expanded there. Awesome. Awesome. Can you give me a sneak peek of anything you're working on right now? Anything uh, Anything you can give away right now, or should I just not, um, not get into that? It's set in the American West, mm. and the lead is a female vampire. Ooh. And it has something to do with... A little bit of Lincoln, a little bit of John Wilkes Booth. It's not a Lincoln vampire hunter, although I have <laughs> nothing, nothing bad to say about that. God forbid. Um, but it's this is this is a female. Interesting. Uh, from the female perspective, so because I've been wanting to write a western or you something know, set in the American West. I love what you do. A lot of your work focuses on the female side of things, uh, yeah. female perspective. Um, and of course I've read, uh, uh, you know, on your website, you go into it a lot. And, uh, so what is your philosophy, I guess, behind that focusing on that? Is that something that you're consciously, uh, trying to work into your work or is that something that just kind of comes naturally to you? Because of course, you know, the, the female perspective in horror, um, traditionally has been, uh, very absent, uh, up until recently. Um, so what's your perspective on that? Uh, I guess my muses are female. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, as far as a monster's muse goes, I, I, I really needed for, for how invulnerable she is after her transformation. I needed something to balance that invulnerability with it, with an extreme vulnerability. And I thought what's more vulnerable than a 10 year old little girl. Um, and I liked the idea of being the object of someone's desire, being some possibly victimized or whatever, and, and, and her having kind of a balance in her circumstances um, um, for that. I, I guess the, the, the simple answer is it just it adds to, for me, um, again, it's something a lot of writers don't explore in that genre. And um, there's a vulnerability quotient and there's a depth depth to the female persona. And I'm just very, very inspired by it. Mm. That, um, you know, I guess it's not really conscious, to be honest with you. I just mm. kind of gravitate toward that. I just kind of gravitate, you know, I have a daughter and a wife and I'm, I'm constantly uh, just inspired inspired by them and i guess that that kind of feeds into it a lot yeah yeah you know yeah i really appreciate that and i uh just cheers to you for for doing that and, and uh, i like women i mean i love women so hey write about them and see them yeah. and look you know yeah. the more women you can can yeah. write about and, and everything the better you know in my mind so that that's great so well thank you bradford it, it's been great talking with you tonight and uh again it, it's just been uh fantastic talking with you about these films. I mean, uh, I hope we can do this again. And uh, yeah. Well, thanks again, man. And, You're uh, welcome. Let's do this again soon. Okay. Thank you, Corey. I don't want to stay on this island one more hour. 
You won't be happy until I meet one of your zombies. Well, I want to welcome to the electric chair right now the guitarist of a great horror punk band that I've talked about a lot before, Die Monster Die. I welcome right now Shadow Windhawk. Dude, thanks for joining me tonight, man. Hey, no problem, Corey. Yeah, dude, Die Monster Die, fantastic band. Um, I, I've been listening to them for several years. Um, and you're the newest addition um, a guitarist, and you, you haven't been there the whole time, and things have switched up. So what's it been like being in this band, man? Um, well, it, to be kind of cliche about it, it's been somewhat of a dream come true for me. I uh, started out meeting these guys as a fan about six or seven years ago at a show. Um, I think it was actually a show where Die Monster Die opened for Calvary's. Cool. Um, yeah, great band. Too. Or vice versa. I don't remember. But um, yeah, I, I met Huey, uh, Zero, DeLorean, and Meat Whistle. And uh, I met our now bass player, Ruben, who's Sticky. Um, that's his stage name. But I ended up meeting him when he was in a band called Spooky DeVille. And uh, now he's in Die Monster Die as well. So me and him are the new members. Um, but it's interesting because I, I ran the Zealots of the Bloody Circle, which is the official Die Monster Die fan club, and actually helped come up with the concept of it years ago. Um, and so I was a, I was a big fan um, <laughs> oh, wow. to start with. So it was kind of it was insane, really, when uh, it came down to the point where I was being asked to come audition to be the guitarist. Um, as you can imagine, I mean, for me, it was somewhat like, you know, having Danzig or someone call you to <laughs> to come down and audition. And, it, you know, because it was Die Monster Die, I always kind of held it up as being one of the best yeah. in the small genre. Um, so it's been a journey, dude. It's kind of a, it's just a weird transi transition going from someone that... Um, viewed the back catalog as being an inspiration and now it's regarded as the band it's you know now that i'm in the band it's regarded as like my back catalog by some people even though i'm not on those recordings those are the songs i play um i can play all of them uh and you know it's just strange uh going through that you know going through hearing these songs enjoying them as a fan and then now taking them into my own body of work and kind of thinking about how I can take what I loved about those and build on it when we're going into the studio for this next record, um, which I'm extremely excited about. And I think it's going to be something great. Oh, um, I'm excited about it too, man. You guys have been running uh, this Kickstarter campaign to get the funds to uh, get this made, to press some vinyl, to do some really, really cool stuff. Um, so, uh, right now we have, uh, we're like less than two weeks away. And by the time this airs, we're going to have like a week, week and a half now. Um, so it, it's really important. I mean, people can donate what, like as little as like five bucks and you still get, you know, a digital copy of the, the album and, and mm -hmm. uh, it's really great. So people need to contribute. Yeah, we, we got it set up with some rewards that, um, all of us just brainstormed together at a rehearsal one day. Um, it's funny now, we're so close to getting this goal met that, you know, it just, 
seems like, you know, again, kind of a dream come true because, you know, we, when we were discussing this originally, it was kind of somewhat of a pipe dream. Um, like, you know, we brought it up initially. Everyone's going, oh, I don't know. We're not really networked the way we should be for that kind of thing. And I just, you know, I said, fuck it, let's, let's do it. And Shane was on board. Zero was on board. Um, we, they started pitching ideas around with me and we came up with the idea of, of putting our fans' faces on the artwork of the LP and, and going for doing a full 12 inch vinyl release instead of doing a digipack CD release because, um, what we noticed in a lot of genres, metal, um, horror punk even a little bit is that vinyl is, is really collectible and it's something that you can't just download on your computer and a lot of people will go the extra mile and pay the extra dollar to get it um and i've seen that with selling our seven inch split that we did with the crimson ghost in 2009 that uh that's finally sold out but um nice that that album sold a lot and uh so we kind of just rolled along with the idea of vinyl and it, we love the concept that you can have artwork prominently displayed in your home. You know, you can frame this. It's going to have a really nice art piece as the as the artwork. And then, in addition, I mean, it's something that if you have the money, the two hundred dollars or more people who donate two hundred dollars or more are going to get their faces on the front of the vinyl. So you know, you're on the front of a twelve inch record from a band that's released seven albums to this to date and been around for, you know, well over 10 years, coming up on 13 years, I believe. Um, we're celebrating 13 years as Die Monster Die in 2013. Wow. Um, which correlates into us doing the album with 13 tracks that are all brand new, never before recorded. Um, and then on top of that, Zero threw out the idea that we should do a song and somehow have like a never-ending guitar solo or some breakdown where we literally say everyone's name that donated 200 or more to the album. Oh, I love it. And put them, put them in the recorded album so that they're there forever on a 12-inch vinyl. You know, like you can't take that away. That's there forever. And it's something people can, can get behind and be excited about and share with, like, their family and their friends even, like, hey, look, you know, this is mine, too. I'm a part of this in a big way. They're, they say my name. And if, if we ever play the song live, you're in the lyrics, you know. I just, the idea was, was really striking, and, uh, of course, we all loved it, so we just went with that, and um, it's been great so far, you know. It's been steady. It's been a lot more difficult for us to raise the funds uh, than other projects I've noticed, but we just, we're not the type to give up, you know, we're going to keep going and see this thing through to the end, and I think um, the fan response has been amazing, you know, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I just love all the creativity that's gone, like you said, into the rewards, and uh, I just, I, I love getting up there, dude, I, I check the page every day just to keep cheering you guys <laughs> on, just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, another five bucks came in, and and uh yeah, awesome. seeing all the people um that are that are coming out of the woodwork uh, to really support you guys so 
that's got to be exciting, man. And running this running this Kickstarter thing, man, it's got to be it's got to be intense, you know, because oh, yeah. there's a chance. I mean, it's it's like do or die. It's like you know, you, if you don't get that amount of money, you you don't get anything. Um, oh yeah. So balls uh, of the wall. I think a lot of people have failed to notice that. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole re- whole reason I push it so damn hard. At, you know, I don't mean to be a pest to those of you on Facebook or whatever that see me post this all the time, but. Literally, you know, that's the only way I can get it to go viral. It's just pounding the link at people, and they go, eventually they'll read it or whatever, and then that's when they go, oh, you know. But uh, it's hard. Yeah, it's um, it's taken a lot of work, and uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's a big chunk of change for us. You know, we've never asked. Uh, our fans to do anything like this on this scale ever, or even for any money from our fans, you know, um, we all kind of joke about being the nice guys of horror punk. It's kind (laughs) of what we like, you know, we like being the guys that are always going to respond when you write a message, whether it's, you know, my dog died or I love your music. And it just, you know, it, it helps me through the day, like that kind of thing, you know, or questions, about anything related to the band, even just questions about what it's like to be a horror punk guitar player. You know, I get all kinds of mail, um, and I like answering all of it. I don't like ignoring anybody, um, and I I intend on keeping it that way. That that goes right along with the, the resurgence of the Zealots of the Bloody Circle fan club that I just started back up with uh, our new president, Stephen Godfrey, and uh, he's a super fan. So he runs that page and maintains that. And to join our club, it's kind of like the scene club. At least that's how I wanted it to be. was back in the day, Glenn Danzig did everything out of his house. And he even made vinyl in his basement and, you know, made T-shirts himself and everything. And he'd send them out for free to the people that were in this exclusive scene club. And it was always free. It was never you know, send us money or anything. Hmm. Didn't want to extort anything from his fans. He just literally wanted to be like the really hardcore people that are willing to, you know, give me the information, like their address and stuff, and show up to the shows. They get random shit from my garage. They get vinyl that no one else gets, you know, that kind of thing. And so I've started the ball rolling with that, where I just barely sent out welcome letters to all the people that have responded so far about being in the fan club. Um, and I just sent out buttons, one-inch buttons with a brand-new uh, mascot design for the fan club. It's like a scarecrow with a fucked-up pumpkin head. And uh, that was designed by my girlfriend, Gina, who's also doing the artwork for the new album. So I'm trying to trying to get, you know, a nice body of art that relates directly to the band from this one specific artist that can be you know, seen as specifically Die Monster Die. And I, so I'm working in new merch. I'm doing all this stuff. I've got a million things going on. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is that we're behind our fans 100%. And, you know, if they carry us through this and get us the money that we need, every dime of that money is just going to go directly back into stuff that they've wanted. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's not like, you know, you guys are, like, splitting this four ways and, you, you know... You each you get a payday. I mean, this is going directly, like you said, into production, into vinyl, into stuff for the fans. Right. It's coming right back around to them. 
And you, you know, just listening to you talking about everything that you do for the fans and everything that uh, all the hard work and the time and the cash, you know, that, that you're putting into this, um, the least that someone can do is just like pitch in five bucks for this. You know, yeah. it, it's yeah, amazing. Uh, you're worth a lot more than that, actually. Well, that's, that's flattering. Thanks, man. Worth but, more than uh, five yeah, bucks. I mean, I, <laughs> what, I, what we wanted to do with that was... Um, simply you know it's like you could illegally download this record you could wait and do that but what we're suggesting is you know this record's not made yet but we've made seven so you know we're gonna fucking deliver right now we're we you know way kickstarter works it's almost like a pre-order you could consider it that you donate five bucks you immediately get not only the album digitally all 13 tracks digital sent you'll we'll send you a link directly you can download it as many times as you want for free from us pretty much i mean 5 bucks but that also gets you a mention in the liner notes of the 12 inch so when you pull out the insert with the record in it your name will be there in the special thank yous just for 5 dollars you know so it's it's again it's just uh, thinking up unique ways that people can really take a part in our art uh, and feel a sense of ownership with us over um, our, our creativity. You know, we want everyone to be in on this with us, you know. I think a lot of our fans are extremely creative people that have a lot to contribute, and um, it means even more to me going into the studio um, or thinking of going into the studio if we succeed with this, knowing that there's this fire, you know, there's all these people that are ready to see this. Mm -hmm. They, they want to see this in their hands. They want to hear it on their record players. They're ready, you know, and that's enough motivation for me. I'm already motivated, but damn, I mean, getting (laughs) $6,000 between say less than a hundred people is astonishing. And it just blows my mind. And it's, it makes me want to do an even better job knowing that, that they want it because we how we would have done this before the kickstarter idea was just somehow scrape up enough money out of pocket between the four of us to head into the studio and it would be about two grand to record and then a little bit more to mix and then once we had the masters digitally distribute them through dr cyclops digital and that's all it would be there wouldn't be any physical whatsoever there was no physical with the last album um, which a lot of people have expressed their disappointment at that with me, but you know, all I have to say is we just don't sell CDs even enough to the point where we break even with them. They literally just sit in our living room. Yeah. Um, so we can't afford it, you know, but with this Kickstarter, it's like they're pre-ordering. So 6,000, if you break it down, we've got it set up. So it's like 2000 to record the thing in Salt Lake. Mix it, which is probably going to be another grand, maybe 1500 And then the big bite is going to be pressing the smallest run of vinyl that we possibly can on full 12-inch and probably mixed color, which is just fucking expensive as hell. It's probably going to cost the rest of the money just to do that. Yeah. Maybe a little less. Whatever's left over, I'm printing official Zella to the Bloody t- uh, Circle t-shirt. It will have the scarecrow design on it with 
grades that have zero windhawk sticky and neat on them, like we've been resurrected, that kind of thing, nice. then uh, everyone who joins the fan club will get a membership card. I'll have those printed with Kickstarter money as well. The membership card will make sure that you get 15% off the t-shirts when I make them available after they've been printed in October this year. So, and then uh, the ETA for this record is hopefully sometime in the first three months of 2013. That's a little bit ambitious because we're extremely busy. Mm. But once the money's there, that's, you know, that's pretty much all we need. We've got it set aside. We can schedule the studio time in advance. We can really hunker down and just start getting at it and getting this all laid out the way we want it, everything um, down to the Dr. Cyclops logo being redrawn. Just We want to rethink everything and make it our big comeback, you know, and just go all out with this one in every way we possibly can. So I think we're all set for that. And I know the fans are dying for it, and uh, I just, you know, I can't wait until I'm sitting in my living room with a big stack of 12-inch that are brand new and I'm mailing those out to people, you know, in, like, February this coming year. It's uh, it's going to be something else, and I really hope that that it lives up to the expectations because it's certainly got quite a bit of hype at this point. Wow, wow. Well, if I wasn't excited before... I'm definitely excited now. I mean, I was I was excited about this, but dude, man, man, I had no idea. Like, I knew you were a hardworking band collectively, and you were a hardworking guy, especially all the stuff I see you doing on Facebook with your posting and your videos and all that cool stuff. But um, just after, you know, what you just said, like, wow, wow, I can't believe that you know, the, the the fans haven't already brought this above the six grand mark and, uh, you know, above and beyond. Like what would happen? Like, say, say somehow you got seven, eight grand out of this. Say there was a flood that came in afterward. How would you spend those extra dollars? Is it just pressing more vinyl? Are you going to just maybe think up like something new and cool um, to do? Well, if, if we have a little over six, I want to do... Uh, big run of buttons, big run of patches, big run of shirts, and set all the rest of it aside for our first ever tour of the United States. Yes. Um, that's what I'm planning right now is that if we find success with this, we release it and people love it as much as we think they will. We'll launch another Kickstarter to get a van. Yes. And possibly if there's money over the van, that'll just give us what we need in case because we can get guarantees we can book ourselves out there and get guarantees for promoters mm -hmm. but you know the promoters don't always come through the people don't always come so you have to kind of go out on tour with the mindset that you have enough money to get your ass home if you get fucked at every stop <laughs> yeah you so, at least have enough know, money to eat and have put gas in the tank Right, you know, right, and we yeah. can, you know, we can couch surf here and there. I've had a lot of really cool people contact me saying, "Hey, I'll help you get booked here. You can crash at my place." That kind of thing is great, and I think that'll help us a lot. And uh, you know, I think this will happen. It's just a matter of money again. And you know, the main issue with us being um, all those fucking major labels—they've ignored us. You know, right. People will look at us and maybe go, ah, they've never tried. Well, no. You know, Shane and Zero, they've tried getting oh, yeah. a hold of major labels. They're in, they've been in this game coming up on 20 years, 
You know, I mean, this is their life's work. Of course they've tried. We've just been ignored by everyone uh, for the longest time. So really, that even means more to me in this whole Kickstarter thing that we can go, fuck you, you're ignoring us, but clearly people want us there in this genre. They want to hear our music. They want to see us live. We're going to do it ourselves. I mean, and what better fuck you than to completely independently fund a full 12-inch vinyl release and a United States tour to support the vinyl, completely independent. You know, Dr. Cyclops is the product of Zero and Shane getting together, starting this band, getting flipped off by all the labels, and then going, fuck it, we're making our own label. I love it. That's where it comes from. So really, I mean, this is perfect for this band. This band is truly independent and has been for a very long time. Um, And yeah, if we have anything left over at all, it'll just go straight back into uh, a tour. Like, I I already have a date booked for next year on May 25th, which I would like to be the kickoff for potentially a two-, three-week tour of the United States. But it's at Tucson, Arizona, at an event called Zombilly Rays Hot Rods and Horror Show. And it's like the second annual, but it's going to be at the rodeo grounds. There'll be a big band show, and there's a shitload of horror punk and psychobilly bands that are booked. It's going to go from 10 a.m. until 1 in the morning. Um, it sounds awesome. And Sid Haig from House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects is actually a special guest that's going to be appearing there. No way. Um, so we'll be playing with Stellar Corpses, the Coffin Shakers, um, and just there's a bunch of other bands, but or Coffin Rockers, Coffin Rockers. But yeah, um, I'm really excited, and I cannot wait to get on the road because I think that's the element that the band's been missing all along. Really, has been the lack of exposure in a live venue. Um, once we get out there with this new record. I think we're just, we're set. It's all uphill from here, you know, and it's, it's take, God knows it's taken a lot of fucking work to get even to this point. Yeah. So we just got to keep trying. Oh, I know it. I know it. And I've, I've uh, heard Shane talk about it uh, a lot, you know, just listening to the, you know, the corpse cast and everything. And just, uh, it's, uh, it's amazing um, that you haven't been noticed or you've been noticed, but just not picked up. You know, and I don't know yep. if that's just a, you know, just tough times in the industry or, or whatever. But, um, you know, a couple things about the tour. First of all, that you mentioned a tour and having aspirations to do a, a, a tour of the U.S. is music to my ears because I was going to ask you about that um, because I'm in Pennsylvania and uh, I keep, you know, I keep seeing things because you guys just played a gig here a couple weeks ago. Um, and you posted some pictures about, you know, the, what went on and, and, uh, talking about some other gigs that you got. And I'm like, dude, that, that looks, it would be so great to hear you live and just even see you. Cause you guys have a great stage presence. I mean, you know, you guys have blood that, that few bands can match. Um, oh, and I, I, especially, I, I love your stage persona. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really cool. And, uh, you put a lot into it. And, uh, now I know, you know, Zero has talked a lot about, you know, he does some cutting and stuff up there and he just gets all crazy when it's live. Oh, yeah. do, do you do the cutting yeah. stuff too, or is it just no. mostly makeup stuff for you? Um, it, it used to be cutting. 
uh, and I've only heard that this is, you know, spoken of in band legend, but, but Hugh, Hugh doesn't do the cutting directly anymore, as far as I know. He did when they started out, before Die Monster Die happened, like, right around the time of the last Casa Diablo CD. Mm-hmm. Hugh's been heavily influenced by Gigi Allen. Oh, he just man. loves he he loves <laughs> insanity. I mean, he doesn't love the you know all the fucking really gnarly shit about the guy. Obviously, we don't condone rape or shitting on stage or pissing on people. But <laughs> the concept of giving rock and roll your all and just kind of going out of body and it's not even you. It's like you're possessed by a right. fucking demon. Right. He loves that. He. I mean, Zero is perfect as a front man, and mm. I couldn't ask for anybody that I would want more to front, you know, a band that I'm in. I, it's an honor to be in a band with him. He's a great lyricist. He's a great guy. Uh, he's my friend. But I always, when I was a fan, man, I look up at the stage at him, and he's just an, he's another animal. He's not the mm-hmm. same dude at all. Takes on this whole zero persona, and he's a fucking rocker. He always has been. I think he was born to do this. So, But back in the day, he used to take razor blades, and, uh, you know, he'd fall on the stage or whatever, and he'd cut himself a little bit, and so it was real blood for a while. Um, now we use uh, Fun World bottle of blood stuff, which a lot of people kind of pick over and ignore because it's, oh, it's Fun World, uh, it's cheap, you know. But <laughs> few is, uh, Zero has realized over the years that this stuff, because it's benzoyl alcohol-based, it dries like nothing else. Like, it actually dries and looks like real blood. And uh, the way it flows is more like real blood. And best of all, it's not sticky as hell. Nice. Because most bloods that, you know, fake blood, stage blood that you use is corn syrup based. Right. And it has sucrose or whatever in it. And it's just sticky as hell. It's terrible. It's yeah. stick together. You know, your, your guitar sticks to your chest. <laughs> like, it's awful. <laughs> I hate it. So this stuff is just slippery and it dries really quickly and of course being in salt lake playing all our shows here it's hot as fuck usually in these little clubs that we play so it dries fast and the sweat mixes with it and then the rest of the makeup and the hair spray mixes with it it just looks nasty and by the end of the night you know it it does kind of look like we butchered people that's why i was going to ask because i've seen a lot of pictures and it looks it looks really real you know, and and so I'm like, well, are they still doing you know some of this crazy cutting stuff? Or man, what did, what kind of blood are they using here? Because it looks great, and uh, yeah, so I noticed yeah, that. No, it, yeah, it's all fake now. So it, you know, but uh, yeah, Huey, Huey's uh, true to the punk core. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. The whole cutting thing blows my mind because <laughs> you know I'm not that hardcore. I wouldn't do that. Um, yeah. I just like the theatricality of stage blood. It just adds something. I mean, like Zero will like to say, you know, we could just be Die Monster Die, four guys in big shorts playing, you know, in our t-shirts like every other fucking band out there. But people have conversations over your music. They'll ignore you because you look weird, whatever. Whatever it is, you know, that. That usually fails on a lot of in a lot of ways when you're a smaller band. It's really, really difficult to get noticed. And um, you know, with us, 
we we could play the music at, without the theatricality, without the makeup, without the blood, and I think our music would stand on its own. But why stop there? You know, we don't need to stop there. We love horror films. That's why we're a horror punk band. Um, you know, why not do it all up? Spend an I spend an hour doing makeup on myself before a show. I walk around in a costume, kind of take on a different persona, and then when I'm on stage, you know, take my shirt off, whatever, and it's just a bloodbath. And he who does the bloodbath thing, he'll even have this big puddle of blood on the stage that he slips around in, falls down in, like, brings people up on stage, and they get dunked in it. And, like, awesome. he loves it when people come up and wipe their hand across his, like, bloody-ass chest and smear it all over, like... <laughs> People really get into it during these shows. We'll have, you know, a bunch of people up in the front, and they'll just get bloody as hell, um, which is awesome. You know, I'm, what other band can really say that for themselves? And this band's done it forever. So Yeah. You're like almost Guar, you know? It's like, because <laughs> Guar yeah, is like... Yeah, that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, that's awesome. So I, I, I really dig that, and I, I appreciate the pictures that you put up of your gigs and, and you know, everything, because it really, it, it, it adds, like you were saying, it just adds to the whole uh, thing that you're going for with the horror punk and your fans of horror movies. And so you fill that yeah, out why not? by, by <laughs> yeah. making it visual as well and uh, physical too. Cause like you said, a lot of people come up and join in and smear themselves in the blood and just get, get all bloody with you guys. So yeah, love it. Love it. Now, horror films, said you're a fan of horror films. You uh, you wanted to talk about a couple uh, films tonight uh, by Rob Zombie. Um, and these yep. were his his two first big horror films, or his two, two first films, period. I don't know if he ever did anything before these film-wise. Um, but uh, you brought up House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. And I got to say, these are two movies that are near and dear to my heart. So thank you. Um, for one oh, to yeah. talk about these because I watched them yet again for like the hundredth time each, uh, just coming up to the show here. And, uh, so really awesome. But, uh, why did you want to talk about these tonight? Um, well, it's awesome that they're near and dear to your heart, like you said, cause they are to me as well, obviously. Um, just, I guess I just wanted to bring them up because I rewatched corpses, uh, recently and it's one of those films for me that it's just impossible for me not to fall in love with it again every time i see it mm-hmm. um because of the camp factor and really it was i've always had a really serious thing for rob zombie's music white zombie specifically yes um i love even more than rob zombie's solo art but absolutely uh, i've always correlated zombie with halloween and i've seen some great rob zombie halloween shows and uh when he came out with this thing it just was so cool because um i'm an avid reader of fangoria and i've subscribed since i was 12 and a long time ago i mean they had this article in fangoria about how zombie was making a movie and everyone was just like what the fuck and this was you know around the time hellbilly deluxe had been released it was very, like a really long time ago that he fucking shot the thing. Yeah. But basically, he shot it. He was going to release it. Everyone went, oh, my God, Zombie's going to release a horror film. And then it got shelved. The, the uh, company that was 
producing it went, mm-mm, too fucking extreme, you're a sick-minded fuck, we're not releasing this, and they put it on the shelf and gave it an X. And, uh, yeah, and so then, finally, he fought and fought and fought with them, and they let it see the light of day, and of course, they butchered it a little bit, but for the most part, what came out, I thought, was a triumph in independent filmmaking, and especially for someone who's never made a feature length before, yeah, you can give him shit for making too many allusions to, to classics like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, whatever. But in reality, where is that original, originality in cult filmmaking? It's been gone for a long time. Right. Um, if you look at Corpses as like a giant love letter, as an homage to all these great films, then fuck, dude, it's really well done. Um, even if it has those awkward moments in it that don't make sense, like um, the scene where the it's all negative tones, like washed out with a bad yeah. filter, and then the guy's like, I'm going to kill that skunk. He had sexual relations with my wife or whatever. Like, <laughs> that weird shit that just reminds me of White Zombie, and it's like, it's, it's a perfect translation of what Rob Zombie is to me in music on film. So I just love it. I see all his music videos in it all his influences, the characters he came up with are iconic. I, you know, I don't care if you like the film or not. Bill Mosley is a brilliant actor, and just Otis is just the sickest, most fucking twisted fuck ever. Yes, and but I likable. love Otis. Likeable, too. Yeah, <laughs> which is likeable <laughs> as well, which is so hard, which is what I love about Reject. Um is he, he just did a 360 from Corpses, using the same characters he makes like a sequel that is better than the original, and you can see that his filmmaking got a lot better, too. Yeah. The narrative's good, uh, the characters are great, and some people will say that with Halloween and Halloween 2, his remakes, that he overdid it with casting famous B-movie cult actors from the 70s, but with Rejects, like, every one of them was pretty much perfectly cast oh, for the yeah. part. Yeah. Uh, Michael Berryman from Hills Have Eyes in that chicken fucker scene. Just perfect, <laughs> yeah. like, camp, like, perfect grindhouse exploitation moment that makes no sense. And it was just awesome to see that in a movie theater um, in, like, 2005. You know, I mean, it's like, what? I'm in a megaplex in, like, Mormon Salt Lake. And the funny thing was that when they released it, there was one theater... <laughs> that would run that movie in Salt Lake. Wow. The Mormon church banned it because they thought it was, like, so twisted and graphic that no one, it wasn't fit for people to see. And, of course, the Mormon church has their fingers and everything in the legislature, and they run the government out here. So, you know, somehow they blacked it out, but one theater had the balls to show it because they knew that, you know, Salt Lake's filled with a underground scene that was just dying to see it you know we waited forever for the sequel finally it's there and it, it actually got good reviews you know like two thumbs up from yeah. and rover or whatever just a it was really great and it was also an independent and uh but with otis like you're saying he's likable one of the cool things that i just love about devil's rejects is how he fucks with you at the end and he's like <laughs> I'm going to do this drawn-out scene with Freebird and just make him look all sweet and happy and fucking home movies and everything. And 
they're these sick bastards that have been raping and killing people for years, and you, like, watch the clips, and you're like, oh, but they're such sick fucks. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. but you kind of like them, and you just feel, like, dirty for liking them. I know. I've, I felt so weird at the end of that movie. You know, I first of all, I'm... I'm never going to be able to listen to Freebird the same way again. You know, since the first time I saw this movie, now every time I hear Freebird, you know, <laughs> before I saw this, I'm like, oh, damn it, Freebird again. This, you know, oh, I'm sick of hearing this. But now I hear Freebird and I'm like, oh, my like, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all I can picture is this brutal scene at the end. And, you know, hopefully everybody out there has seen this. Um, and I think pretty much everybody has. Uh, it, it's just a brilliant slow motion uh, sequence that has no ambient audio, nothing else going on except the song. And it's yep. the final stand. Uh, we have the survivors. They've, they've gone through so much. I mean, you think they're going to die like 10 times in this, this movie, but uh, somehow they make it out every time. And so, you know, it's Otis, Spalding, and Baby, and they're in the car, and it looks like they're going to get away from it all but of course there's the police blockade and do they surrender no hell no (laughs) of course not you know they go out blasting which is great they are so consistent throughout you know house of a thousand corpses and devil's rejects this family they are so twisted they never give in they never surrender nothing you know even in the face of this gigantic police squad they're just like, yeah. we're, we're, we're going to go out blasting. I don't care. And uh, we see that at the beginning of The Devil's Rejects with the whole standoff, the shootout at the at the house. And um, many times. But, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm so much like you, though. You know, going back to seeing Rob Zombie make a movie, that's something, you know, I was when, uh, you know, Le Sex Sisto came out in like 1991 or something. And I was still in high school, you know, and I'm listening to this stuff and people are like, that's some weird shit. Why are you listening to White Zombie, dude? That's that's twisted stuff. And I'm like, it's cool, man. I, I dig it. I don't know. And all along, I'm like, Rob Zombie would be like the perfect guy to make a movie. And I think that, again, a lot of fans were thinking that, you know, especially through Astro Creep and how visual that album is. You know, he, he makes very visual music, which is weird. But if you've ever seen him live, he does a great visual representation of his music as well so it's 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 really crazy but he's just one of those guys where oh dude rob zombie's got to make a movie and then when you hear he's finally doing it uh i was just beyond excited to hear that and then of course like he said you know the whole red tape and the crap you know it was shelved and people didn't want to put it out and he got jerked around a lot and when i finally saw it uh it was a really really great um and it gets better and you, you even said, I mean, every time you watch it, it's like you fall in love with it again. And it just gets better and better. And I, I, I notice things that I didn't notice before. Um, you know, and even watching it, you know, this time, I just watched it yesterday for the show. And I'm like, oh, man, I, I never saw that before. You know, there's a flash of something or maybe, you know, whatever. And it, it's something he puts so much into it. It's so um, artistic without being artsy. If you... If you know what I mean, it's a, it's a very, oh, yeah. it's not, yeah. um, it's not indulgent or pretentious at all. Uh, I think what no. he does, it's very, very, um, calculated, um, very artful without going over the line. Uh, brilliant horror, uh, pays homage, you know, 
so much, especially uh, The Devil's Rejects, is so, like, exploitation-like. Um, yep. It's, uh, it's, it's really twisted. And so, I, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised whenever, you know, a lot of uh, really more religious, conservative sort of organizations would have would have really uh, banned this and, and, and looked down on it because, uh, you know, again, you know, and I'm like, well, what's the big deal? You know, I, I've, I've seen a lot of exploitation come out of the 70s and 80s and stuff, and I know it's been banned. And, you know, it's just kind of reserved for little weird, you know, kind of underground theaters and weird twisted fans like myself, you know, to go and, and dig up. So I wasn't really surprised. Um, but, uh, man, this was my dream come true as well and uh i loved both movies so you like uh rejects better than uh, uh house of a thousand corpses than you said um yeah yeah i i regard it as a better piece of filmmaking in terms of its composition um the just uh, pretty much everything about it the cinematographer he worked with i'm not sure if it's the same guy or not i don't think it is though because rejects uh, just the way they shot all those locations, the bright blue skies, just everything was well thought out to be starkly contrasted by the ultimate violation of the human body, you know, like everything that goes on, the the shit that, uh, that I love, you know, little homages to, again, you know, some of my favorite movies ever made, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 with Dennis Popper, mm-hmm. uh, Caroline Williams. Zombie loves that fucking movie. I know he does, not because I've heard him say it, but because he cast Caroline Williams in Halloween Part 2 as right. a cameo. You know, he, he loves all the great slasher movies, but that one in particular, there's that scene where she has to wear LG's face. Yes. And she's in Leatherface's Butcher House, like in this fucked up amusement park underground. She's fucking dancing with him, and there's that fucked up synth music, and it's just like... Oh, but then Zombie loves it so much he like reinvents that and he puts it into Devil's Rejects with Otis fucking, you know, just the ultimate desecration of someone's corpse. The, the dude tries to save Roy in, uh, in Rejects when Otis takes them out to kill them and they know they're going to die and the guy fights him and then he gives him that great line, you know, you want to be a fucking hero and gets on top of him, beats the shit out of him, and then uh, then he fucking proceeds to rip his face off with a buck knife. I mean, it was like, fuck, and then he puts it on his girlfriend. She's run, She runs in and gets hit by the truck, and, like, the sky is bright blue, and there's Tiki Palms Motel, and it's just so, like, very la di da you know, like something you would pass on a road trip. You go, huh, look at that fucking motel. I'm never going to stay there. You know, whatever, and... Just it it just all fits into that comic booky world of Rob Zombie that he's created for himself. He's got this this world that he that he lives in with his music and everything, like his his own thing completely. You know, all the influences are present, and he's un, unafraid to you know probably put those influences forward in all of his work. But yet he's still you know he's his own beast. A lot of people give him too much shit, I think, for trying to be David Lynch or trying to be, you know, Tobey Hooper, whatever. But to me, he's never been. And seeing his films, I mean, flawed as they might be, I just, I love them. And uh, 
I've always respected Zombie as an artist in his own right, and clearly the pop culture fucking agrees with me. I mean, the dude is a huge, huge rock star, and that's not slowing down. I mean, um, his commercials that he's come out with recently are just fucking hilarious and clever. Um, who would have thought Rob Zombie doing a Woolite commercial? Um, and then he did one for, like, Ridex or something, some kind of ant killer commercial. And they're just, wow. they're just smart and witty and everything. And, yeah, you know, Zombie works with talented people. He surrounds himself with the best of the best. And he gives it his all. And you know what? The haters are always going to be there fucking hating. So... He doesn't give a shit. Why should he? He's Rob Zombie, for fuck's sake. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Well, that's part of what I love about him. He doesn't care. He's just doing he's whatever he wants gonna, to do. Yeah, he's certainly not going to take people's criticisms and go, oh, oh, God, I need to make a better movie now that you hated Halloween 2. No, he, he didn't do that. He went, the fucking studio had their fingers all over it. I made the best movie I could, so it sucked. So what? Fuck you. I'm Rob Zombie. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. And that's Those that's of us that are, yeah. Go ahead. Well, dude, you know, a great artist is going to be like I think very polarizing. You know, people are either gonna really really dig it or they're gonna really hate it and say this is terrible. You know, it's unwatchable. You know, if you have if you try to please everybody and you have a big big base of sort of lukewarm people that just kind of like you and they think yeah yeah that it does pretty good stuff. You know. That's not somebody that's really pushing the boundaries. That's not somebody that really no. has something to say. And Rob Zombie is one of these guys. He has a vision. He has something to say. He's a horror fan, first and foremost. He loves great horror movies, which, like you said, just bleeds through everything that he does. Um, but I, I just so respect him. And actually, it's something that like kind of encourages me and I think encourages him you know, when you see all these haters coming out and really, really like hating on his films um, and, and saying they're terrible and, and just really picking them apart. Because, again, there are people out there that are going to get it, that are going to appreciate it. And there are people out there that are just going to totally miss what's going on and just brush it off as as whatever. Oh, that's just another remake. Oh, that's just another Texas Chainsaw kind of rip off, you know, whatever. And they don't get it. So that's, uh, I think that is a, a great thing. And I would either be loved and hated than just kind of, eh, you know, you're, you're pretty good. You're pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all right. So I'd rather be one or the other. And, uh, yeah, that's what he going is. Going right along with that. Um, that's how, that's how my band is, you know, uh, Zero and Shane will tell you for years, it's always been that way. It's always been, God, we fucking love Die Monster Die. Can't get enough. You guys are the shit. Or it's Puck. I hate these cocksuckers. They're horrible. <laughs> They're fucking awful. I hate their makeup. I hate the fact that they get the stage all bloody and shit. They're just, they're ugly. They, I hate them. You know, I fucking hate them. Like, we, we get that and we get the love and we, there's no in between with us whatsoever. There, there isn't anybody out there that I've ever met or has contacted me going, kind of like you guys, eh, a little bit, you know, I just kind of like you, but not really. There's like nobody like that. It's just either, you know, oh God, I just got a friend request from the guitar player from Donaldson. Where have you guys been? <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, I fucking love you. You know, it's like that or it's fuck you. 
I hate your band, you know. I mean, the band's even been has been banned permanently from several places in Salt Lake for doing blood. No way. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, Shane and Zero have this great story about how they just got chased out of a bar uh, not even that long ago because, first of all, they forced the band to use their equipment, like their PA system and uh, mic cables, but Zero used his own mic. And, of course, all the equipment was their own. And then the after the show was over, you know, they pulled a big crowd. Everything went great. A bouncer and the owner of the club came up, and they got right in their face about how Zero had spit blood on their mic cables. <laughs> after Zero offered to use his own mic cables, and they were just being dicks, and they didn't pay him, and they fucking hustled him out of the bar. Wow. Like, they just pushed them out and they gave them a lifetime ban like you can never play here ever again Amazing. and that's happened like twice and it's it's simply the shock factor some people just can't handle it yeah. but as zero also says you know what we all love about our band is that love it or hate it when you're in a room with us and we're performing you cannot fucking look away it's like a car wreck yes you know, not and not even in a negative way. It's just like right. everyone goes, "Oh, car wrecks, so horrible!" But they're peeking. You know, they're fucking driving by and going, "Look at that asshole," or whatever. In their minds, they want to see it, even though it's horrible and people probably die and whatever. You know, but yep. our band, it's like that. They, we're up there, we're all covered in blood, and people are like trying to talk over us. Well, goddamn it, you're not going to talk over Die Monster Die because. As any of our fans that are locals that come to shows will tell you, we fucking turn that shit up loud. You can't hear it, anything like the day after your ears are ringing and shit. That's the mark of a great um, show right there. Yeah. Yeah. So can't hear anything. It that's just how we ears do ringing. it. And people just, people just respond to it one way or another. But, you know, we love it either way. Awesome. Awesome. And I love it too. And uh, dude, thank you for uh, for bringing up these movies. House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects. Everyone needs to go out and, and see these if you haven't, um, because they're just, uh, they're some great modern horror that uh, is very kind of retro horror at the same time with this crazy Rob Zombie kind of psychedelia mixed in. And um, yeah, tell some really twisted stories. So, dude, Die Monster Die, fantastic band. I'm going to put up all the links where you need to go for, you know, the website and Kickstarter and, and everything. And, ah, oh, Windhawk, man, it's been fantastic actually talking to you because I, I've just, uh, I've got to know you on Facebook. And we've just kind of done the text thing back and forth, you know, on, on Facebook. And uh, being able to really talk with you, man, this has been great. It's been an honor for me, because I again, I really respect the band. I really respect what you're doing, even more so now that you know you've you've told me about all these things that you're doing. So, uh, man, thank you, thank you for talking no, with me tonight. Yeah, thank you, Corey, dude. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to contact me about having the interview. I mean, I'm flattered, honestly, and uh, it is always good to actually be able to speak with people that appreciate what we do. I I love it. So anytime, man, it was my pleasure. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, dude, people uh, are going to find out where they can contribute. And I, I certainly 
hope that they do. But um, hopefully we can do this again, man. You'll come back on the show and uh, you'll be talking about the making of the new album. You'll be in the middle of all that. And it'll, it'll just be great and we'll be all pumped up about it. So, dude, I hope you have a good night. You're going to see uh, Blitzkid tonight, from what I hear. And yep, uh, that's really exciting. Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm jealous of that. I've uh, never got to see them, but uh, I'm a big fan. Oh, that's a shame. But, they, they really are a great band. So yeah. it's a shame so, to see them go. Well, have fun with that, man. And uh, hopefully we'll be doing this again soon. Great. Thanks, Corey. All right, dude. Good night. Good night. Hey, go see if there's some beer in there. If those zombies are going to eat us, might as well be drunk. Thank you all once again for listening to The Electric Chair. I certainly do appreciate it that I can sit in front of the mic every week and run my mouth and that uh, people are actually interested in hearing what I and my guests have to say. It's very, very kind of you. Um, of course, thank you to Bradford Tatum. Um, I had a lot of fun with that. And that will be the interview featured on uh, the next video show, uh, The Electric Chair 2D. So uh, you're going to want to watch that because he, he's, you know, he, he's a nice looking guy. He really is. And uh, like I said, he's an actor. And uh, so, you know, you're going to want to see the interview as well. Uh, There's just something different about actually seeing us interact and things. And uh, so, yeah, Bradford would be on that. But I certainly appreciate him taking the time to speak with me. It was great. Great. And go by the Monster's Muse. You got to. It's awesome. Um, And thank you to Shadow Windhawk of Die Monster Die again. Um, man, you gotta support them even like five bucks thrown their way. gets you a digital copy of the album when it comes out. And, uh, this is well worth it. There, you know, as you could probably hear from Shadow Windhawk is that, uh, they're some of the most hardworking musicians out there, especially in horror punk. And I know a lot of you out there are horror punk fans. I am one myself as well. And, uh, so they deserve it. I've already done my part. Have you done yours? Have you done yours? So, yeah, you got to. But uh, anyhow, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, the website for this podcast is electricchairshow.com. Um, my other website is midnightcory.com, where I post other things. Um, of course, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and all those fun places, and you can find those on the website. So, thank you once more for listening. I will be here again next week, and uh, until then, thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.